Have you ever uh, eaten at an Olive Garden? That's yeah, actually not bad. I, have I haven't not. never. I don't think I've ever I been have. to one. Those get... fucking bread things. Welcome to Noah Kagan presents. What up, everyone? It's your boy, Paperback, a.k.a. Rabbi Can't Lose, a.k.a. Noah Kagan. In today's episode, I talk with Nick Kay, who's one of the co-founders of Alinea. If you don't know it, it's one of the top restaurants in the world, and I've gotten to eat there, and it was literally one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, So I'm very fortunate I was able to get to chat with him and learn a lot about it. So some of the things that we talk about, and you guys are going to hear, these nuggets are amazing. He talks about uh, how not to limit yourself. Uh, Nick talks about why he doesn't always listen to customer feedback why they spent $140,000 on a table, his experience with the Trump group and how it influences business, Uh, how he builds shit that gets busy. You just really got to build something great. He talks about that. Uh, Why he does whatever it takes to hire the best people. I love that part. Uh, Why do restaurants have tablecloths? There's that and so much more. I really look forward to you enjoying it. There are some minor audio issues during the episode because I was following Nick around the restaurant, but we did our best to make it as amazing for you as possible. Enjoy the show. Do you ever worry about having too much good food? Sometimes I'm like, when I've had so much good food, I go and have like normal food, and I'm like, I just can't really eat this anymore. Which is bad, because I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't have gone up so high. Yeah. This is true of everything. <laughs> I guess it's that I'm limiting yeah. myself. Like, yeah, let's see, not have too like, much fun. Go have bad sex for a while. <laughs> and then let me know. How do you know it's bad sex? Well, because you had really good sex. Hopefully. So I don't know. Maybe all my point. sex has been bad. It could be. Yeah, it's, it's, that, that's definitely it's true of the food, though, too. It's your own self perception. So you, you have no idea whether you've had good food. So Is that what you think I'm, most restaurants are doing? Like most just aren't trying that hard? No, so, so I think in general, this is why we're way in philosophical conversation here, but I think in general there's one of the most depressing things is when I go to a restaurant where I know the people who have spent their blood, sweat, tears, and a couple million dollars to build a place, and everyone's trying very hard, and yet it's not very good. What that tells me is that they actually don't know what good is. So you have to have the life experience to know what good is in anything. It's like design. Like how do you know great design? Like, we have some really great designers here. How do you know great design? Well, you probably need to have an exposure to design over a long period of time and filter hmm. down to, like, what what works. And obviously there's... Okay. It's like, what's great art? Well, you know, it's like you kind of know it when you look at it, but you can't really say why all the time. With food, it's similar. Yeah, like, there's some stuff that... A great cocktail, for example. It's like the balance in a great cocktail is you know it when you have it but you have to have gotten there over a long period of time. Tell me more about how you actually take customer feedback to improve your business. Honestly, like, I, in a weird way, this sounds awful. I don't really care about customer feedback. <laughs> if we've made an error, we know it. Chances, like, and we'll have fixed it. Um, if we didn't make an error and it was intentional, but you didn't like it, I don't care. How do you know if you made an error? We just, just based on your own tastes and preferences? Yeah, and also, like, sometimes, like, I mean... We're serving 1,100 people a night, and it's a big complex. You'll see this is a huge organization here. It's a big complex thing. There's a lot of moving parts. And the thing that people don't realize about restaurants is it's like a theater every night. It's like a showtime starts at 5 o'clock tonight here. So at 5 o'clock, the curtains open, the show happens, whether you want it to or not. And inevitably, something breaks. Something, And I don't mean breaks like physically, though, that too. But the show. But I mean, like, you know, someone's sick and doesn't show up, and now you've got two people doing the work for it's a restaurant for drinks so you're saying the aviary restaurant, so the aviary for, restaurant drinks. for drinks i've never heard yeah. of a, a cocktail place because i think call it a cocktail lounge or something like that right and it, it is but but the way it's run the way this is set up and the reason i brought you here is because this is set up as a restaurant for for drinks and what that means is that you know how you go into most bars and there's a bartender and you talk to him and you say, and this is going to make this sound absurd, but you say, I would like Manhattan, uh, a, uh, a daiquiri, classic daiquiri, and whatever else, right? An old-fashioned. And this one dude literally has to wash the glasses and then find his the, li- the appropriate liquors, get them out, carve a little bit of the orange rind off, and like line. flare it. And, and it takes 45 minutes to get around to drinks, right? It's incredibly inefficient. Imagine if every time you went to a restaurant, you go to the Italian restaurant, you're talking about, yeah. and you walk into the kitchen and go up to the chef and go, yeah, 
Okay, so I need a trick catch Atari. Like, you know, it's like, it's just a weird thing. Like, huh. there's an I never thought of it that way. Right, no one does. Okay, so when you guys came up with this concept, were you like, were you smoking bowls? Were you guys in the woods? No, 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 you no, just no, like, no, what happened was, I was at, um, I'll, I'll tell you, weirdly, I'm gonna bring Trump into this. So, weirdly okay. what happened was, um, I started, I'm more of a wine guy. And I started going to some craft cocktail places. So when I would travel, I'd go to, the, like, people go, like, you really got to go to, like, some Berman Branch, or you got to go to the Violet Hours. And what I realized, just like we were talking about the experience, like, I'd had a lot of bad cocktails. I'd never had any really good ones. And so when I experienced these good cocktails, I was like, oh, my God, there's this whole other world of things happening here, of flavors and tastes that are really enjoyable and still get you drunk in the process. This is a win-win. <laughs> so I, I, I was like, that's, that's really good. So... But then I was annoyed by what I looked at as being highly illogical. And that, that these people were incredibly talented, but they were also being asked to wash dishes and everything was organized in a way that was logical to be pretty or aesthetically beautiful, but not very functional. And I was kind of like going like, how do we build something that, that, that does that better? And at the time, they were building Trump Tower here. So I got a call from the operating manager of the Trump Organization saying, we would like to meet with you about Trump, about the building we're building. Now, I had heard from people that I know that, that did work with him that everything that you heard in this election cycle is true. Which you get halfway way, built. Yeah. You get a restaurant, <laughs> stop. You get a restaurant halfway built, and you would, uh, at that point, like they would just like go, yeah, that contract's no longer valid. We're going to change the deal on you. And people would go like, no, no, you can't do that. We have a signed contract. And it's like, okay, well, sue us. Like, you know, we'll just put in some other chef in the, the restaurant wow. side, right? So I already knew we weren't gonna do the deal based on that, but I also have like kind of a policy that I'll talk to anybody. Like there's very little to lose in sitting down and talking to someone. So um, Don Jr., Ivanka, and their director of operations, who passed away about six months ago, a nice guy. Um, sat down at Alinea with me and they showed me the plans for what they were building and the building itself is gorgeous um, and all that and what was interesting is that Ivanka was kind of running lead on the whole thing and she was she knew her Chicago real estate hold she was really bright very personable um, very likable also had an aesthetic sense for everything that was going on there I told her that I thought the buildings in New York were incredibly tacky and full of brass and were minimalists. And it seems gaudy, yeah. Yeah, it's gaudy, it's old, like all that. And, and she was completely receptive to that. She said, yeah, it was built 30 years ago by my dad and I'm not that person, right? Okay, okay. Like, you know. But one of the things when I looked at that and had this experience of, of, of all the uh, cocktail, you know, craft cocktail places, I was like, why doesn't it run like a kitchen? It just needs, we need a bar that runs like a kitchen. So my original plan that I wrote up was wrote, written up with, the original aviary plan was written with that space in mind, even though I knew oh, you were interesting. Do it. So you're given a space, you're given an outdoor space, you know. And so it, it wasn't really about that building, it was about like, okay, well, if you had a space like that, what would you do with it? Yeah. So in a weird way, the aviary is kind of like the hotel lounge. Of Trump? Of, no, of like oh, the a hotel. hotel in Hong Kong in 2020. Now, mind you, I, that was 2004 when I originally wrote the plan. And so, um, or 2000, sorry, not four, um, 2007 when I wrote the plan. So, this, you'll notice it's like daytime here, and what are they doing? Well, they're measuring out in precise amounts oh, for of all bags the cocktails and, and stuff. weighing it for each of the cocktails, right? Um, they will then. Um, fill all these with all the spices um, for the porthole um, drinks. Everything that can be made ahead and batched without... Like a restaurant. Without denigrating. Yeah, it's exactly the way Alinea works. So one of yeah. the things that we wanted was like when you sit down here, we'll give you a little tiny drink, a seasonally inspired drink, so that while you're ordering, you're already doing something. You're already consuming something. Uh, it's just a nice welcome. Um, it's fun. It's easy. Um, and so this was really came out of like running a Michelin star restaurant. How do you run a Michelin star bar? And honestly, when we built this, people thought we were nuts. Like, Why? Because, well, because if you're going to have five chefs working here, you better be full on a Tuesday. The reason that bartenders exist is because bars have very asymmetric demand. Oh, interesting. Like Friday, Saturdays and things like Friday, that. Friday, Saturdays are packed. So they hire a couple extra people and, and they Monday, sling Tuesday. some drinks into glasses and out they go. 
And then Tuesday, there's that one dude there, and that's when you get your good drinks because he has time to make stuff. I never thought. Well, how did you know? How did you have the confidence that you know Tuesdays would be busy? Just build shit that gets busy, man. Like, you know, it's, not, I don't, it's like I don't know. Like you know, it's like let's plan on failure and make it shitty. Uh, you know, it's like if you make something. It's great. funny. The, a lot of the things I'm saying, I'm like setting myself up to fail. I'm like, oh, I'm only gonna have good enough food. I'm only gonna be yeah, plenty. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's true that. of everything. It's no, like, no, but it's good to hear this reminder from you. Yeah, no, I mean like I. I the answer is we didn't know that, and it wouldn't have worked from a labor standpoint if we weren't busy. But then again, I kind of think that if you build something really great, you'll get busy. And if you build something average and plan on mediocrity, you shall stay yeah, mediocre no matter what you're doing, right? What's the protocol? Like, so if someone goes out with you to your restaurant, do, they, do you normally, does the person, should they pay for themselves? Like, what do you generally recommend for like a regular, a commoner if like, they went out? I, I don't know, I was thinking about it. Because if, if I go out to dinner, no, so no, no, I, oh, no, no. I meant like if Ivanka comes to like Alinea with you, does she have to pay for her meal? Well, or I, does well, she pay for a drink? I, I don't know. I guess yeah, that's kind so, of a, I don't know if it's a shitty question. Uh, so, so the the answer is I won't like if I, I first of all I, I've eaten at Alinea once in the past three years. I just don't do that. Why don't you go? Um, well, it's kind of like why don't you like you know I don't know why don't you take a shower in your office? I don't. It's like it's like you know it's like I don't like I don't view my places as my living room. I think there's nothing worse than going oh, into a place. Oh, interesting. I think there's nothing worse than going into a restaurant and seeing one of the owners sitting there like they own the place, kind of. You know what I mean? Like, holy This court. is your business place. This is, this is your a business. Office. And the people who work there aren't my servants. They're my coworkers. And so um, that's the way I treat it. Now, that said, Royster is a very casual place, and I've eaten there probably eight times since we opened in six months because it's the kind of place where I can sit down there bring some friends, it's raucous. If I stand up and, and go say hi to a couple tables, it's totally fine. At Alinea, that would be completely inappropriate. Um, downstairs in the office here, our, our kind of like speakeasy place down in the basement, um, I will go down there and have drinks and be comfortable because it's only 20 seats. So I can go say hi to everyone, Enough. be private, yeah. buy some drinks. I like how people. you look at that. But it's like, I don't, I don't look at any of, of the people that we work with. I look at them as my coworkers. Not like these are my employees. And yeah. Like, I look at it, I call them teammates at our company. Cause I'm like, yeah. if you have employees generally, I think they're not gonna be that great. Cause they're just gonna be doing things, not actually thinking things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you wanna hire, my dad always used to tell me, hire smart people and let them be smart. Hmm. I like you that. Know, Cause there's a lot of places that, especially big organizations where like, if you get like an upper level manager, they wanna make sure that the guy right below them isn't like, or smart because they're going to take my spot. You know, it's like, man, I, I wish someone would take half my responsibilities off the table right now. <laughs> what do you want to get a, what so, responsibilities? Do I want to get rid of? No, yeah. Well, you know, there's certain things like on just on the creative side or running a meeting or something like that that you just can't. Um, it's hard to it's it's hard to let go of something that is creatively important and then what becomes not creatively important. So I'll give you a concrete example of this. There was a move in the last seven months because I've been spending so much time on talk to take away some decision making from me purposefully on some smaller things. So it's winter in Chicago, it's freezing outside. We're going to, um, we need a, an airlock for Royster. Royster's a new restaurant. We need an airlock. Is that the thing outside the door? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you put up these kind of like tented airlocks all over Chicago because it's just really cold here. And even if you have an airlock inside, you kind of need one outside too. So we have a company that does really beautiful ones. Um, a guy who's a great employee uh, ordered it. And rather than saying, I need it by this date or else you don't get the order. Um, he just ordered it and then said, so when can you deliver it? Well, it's, it's, it's winter's coming up and it's in high demand. So they said like January 15th. Well, that's kind of disastrous. You need December, isn't it cold already? Yeah, it's cold in November. So um, November comes around, you open the door, people, we can't seat the first four tables. Because, like in the restaurant, it's freezing there. Or if you see somewhere, it's clearly the worst table. So then they put up this interior thing with these drapes that looked like someone made it in shop class, right? Um, and I walked in and I was like, what the fuck is this? And they're like, well, our, our airlock's not gonna be delivered until January 15th. Why not? When you order something, anything in the world, the common sense thing to do is go, when can I have it by? Here's your bid, I need two things. I need a price, 
and I need wins and coming. Yeah. And now you've got two leverage points. You can choose between the two. Especially because, you know, it's we, we send a lot of business their way. So we're up to me, I would say to the guy, look, I need twenty percent off and I need it by November fifteenth, or you get you get nothing. And, and on, why the discount? Why not? Ask. <laughs> you know? And then maybe he said, well, you can't, you can't have the discount, but you can have it by November 15th. Like, what I really need is the date, but I don't want him to know which one I care about, right? I, well, you know, it's, it's amazing. You do, it's funny you say that because, like, you know, you obviously your restaurants seem to be doing well. People always make assumptions, but they seem to be doing well. You have some money, I would assume, too. And you're still asking for discounts. That's why I have the money. I, no, no, I love it. I love it. So, you're not even Jewish. It's but I'm also, I'm, also, I'm also getting leverage points. Yeah, no, I like that. That's and, good. But, so, and then... So I kind of, and this guy, this is a guy who I love, right? You know, he's a great, great employee. Um, I basically said like, dude, why, why would you ever order something and give them a 30% deposit without knowing when it's coming? Because this is a highly relevant thing. And then why would you build this crappy thing to, to you know, like- Which you know, he probably was really you, proud of. He's like, dude, I solved the problem. Well, and cheaply and all that. And I said, look, like, don't compound a problem. Like, you know, it's like, I mean, an error was already made, own the error, own the solution, totally. even if it costs money, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we solved that, the interior thing. And then this thing got delivered, and frankly, it's ugly. It's not as, as well designed as the other one. So aesthetically, yeah. there's some errors with it, in my opinion. Now, an architect designed it and all that, but is it in keeping with the other one? So next year, I have to have the whole thing redone. And then, so that's really interesting, actually, though, but you kept it. Well, I have no choice right now. Is there any other way? You can say, hey, come out and make this change now. It's not, it's not, yeah, because it's like, they're custom cut and made yeah. and all that. So, um, it's it's one of those things that, like, I drove by and I was like, oh, man. Every time you see it, a little. Yeah, yeah. And and so, like, we're, we're very detail-oriented. Chef Atkins is real detail-oriented on that. And we, we I'm, I'm usually the one with him that I'm arguing, like, cost-effectiveness and trade-offs, right? And... Then in this context, I'm the one going. It's aesthetically a piece of shit. Right? So, do you think you've changed over um, the years? Do you think he's like influenced you in that way? Well, I think we both we we both have our roles to play, and sometimes I play the role of Ackett, and sometimes he plays the role of Conus. Like it all depends oh, on context. Sure. Are there any major like where you spend like 50k, 100k, 10k, and like fucked up something like that? Oh yeah, this thing right here. Um, this thing was more like 130,000. No um, way. Oh, no, yeah. This is, it's all refrigerated. It's completely This refrigerator. Custom. Yeah, it's refrigerated on the backside. Refrigerated freezer. It's all custom. It's in a weird shape, right? So instead of just being, it's like trapezoidal instead of square. And then there are 92 welds in the arc of this part in there that holds the water and the ice and all that stuff. So if we had squared those off and squared this off, it would have cost like $40,000 less. But that's not the error. It's, just, it's really beautiful and it's really functional. The error is that it's six inches too long. And so when they dropped it here, and it's on concrete, it's literally on these concrete risers, so we do everything, like most kitchens do it on little poles or on rollers so that they can clean underneath it. But if we put concrete here, it, nothing can get under it, and it's permanent, okay. and it's much better to clean, and it's, it's just better all around. But plumbing that is like really hard. Like you have to put all the plumbing through the concrete, and yeah. these concrete risers. How did you justify a hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar table? Because that was a small fraction of what it cost to build the place. One thing you know, uh, you. I mean, like all of this. So this is now six years old. It looks like it was looks put in here yesterday. Yeah, right? it's clean. So it's not just clean; they sandpaper it every night. If you look, see how that gets scratched in one direction? Yeah. So every night it gets clean, and then they, the final step is that they. They sandpaper, really fine grit sandpaper in one direction, and then put a fine, fine thing of oil on top of it, just a tiny, tiny bit, and rub it in all the way across. Well, you know, so that's our entire restaurant group, every single thing like on that. On everything. So this is six years old, um, and it's custom built for, for us, to our specs. Um, this is wine and beer refrigeration. Um, like, most people would put their compressors for their beer here. We've got ours downstairs so that they don't make any noise. It's like all the little things, you know? How did you know to, I mean, you never did restaurants before. Like, yeah. you you were a trader, I saw. Yeah. I, I mean, where'd you where'd you learn all this? Nowhere. That's why no one would spend $150,000. I mean, I, Grant and I sat down. How'd you meet in, him? In my home. I was a client at, uh, at the Trio. Like, okay. I just, I met him. My whole thing in, in business, and as I get older, even more so, um, but it started happening, you know, 10, 12 years before that. 
I just want to work with people that are great. It doesn't matter to me so much what they're great at. I'm kind of a generalist. I just want to work with people who are great. And so if you work with someone like Grant, who I met when he was 27 or so, 28, I was like, this guy's one of the best at what he does in the world. It was immediately evident to me that that was the case. It was evident to me that he was highly driven like I was. You know, when I was 24 years old, I would get to the Merc at five in the morning just to like, fuck with everybody there. They are, I, I wanted people to think that I lived there. Like, cause I wanted to be the first guy in that entire building and the last guy out for like the first two years I was there. Because I, and there was nothing for me to do at five in the morning. But they didn't know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, and I was like this, I was like a scrawny kid, went to nice school, got a philosophy degree. And these guys back then, I mean, there was, what, there was probably 10,000 people on the trading floor. It was a really raucous environment. And, you know, it's, there's no more pure, it's like trading the movie Trading Places, there's no more pure place of capitalism. And you can keep score every day. Like, you know how your decision making went every day. Totally. It's really um, satisfying in that regard. And so I would, you know, Grant was like that. Grant was clearly like, whether I helped him or someone else did, it wasn't gonna matter. He was gonna get where he wanted to go. And um, so we, 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 we sat down at my, in my house and we barely knew each other. Did you, but what gave you that idea even think for the restaurant? Did you be like, oh, well, I Well, I know that, I knew, I, after meeting him, I knew he would build a restaurant somewhere. Like, I, it was clearly his ambition. Did you look at it from like an investor perspective? Like, oh, I have money, this guy has a very amazing talent. No, I, 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 I basically just said to him, I'm like, you know, I can tell you're not gonna stay here forever. Like, you're bigger than this place. What do you wanna do? And he was like, well, at some point I wanna build my own restaurant. And I said, if you ever do that, I'd like to help you. And he said, what kind of restaurant do you want to build? And I said, I have no fucking idea. I've never built a restaurant before, but it better be like the best restaurant in the country because I don't want to deal with anything less than that. Why do restaurants have tablecloths? Why does a fancy restaurant have a white tablecloth? My stupid answer is easier to clean. That's like the... No, it's way harder to clean, actually. This is way easier to clean than a tablecloth, right? You can just spray it, wipe it down. It's easy. It's because the table underneath is a piece of shit. So they literally take plywood tables, reinforce them, and put pad around them, and then put a tablecloth over it. So you have white linens became known as like, oh, that's a fancy restaurant because they're hiding the piece of shit table. Yeah. Right? Now think about it. He's like, when you sit there, he's like, you feel that table, and your elbows rest on it or whatever, or your arms. And you feel it move a little bit. You can tell that underneath it's not really high quality. But if you go to someone's house and they're really well off, they're putting a tablecloth on that. They got a beautiful fucking you table. You show the table, yeah. And it's a piece of woodwork and it's beautiful. And you know subconsciously when you go to that restaurant that something in your experience is not up to par. You just, and they've hidden it from you. You just don't consciously know that. So we're gonna build a restaurant that has no tablecloths. And it's gonna be a Michelin three-star restaurant with no tablecloths. And we Googled everything. There was not one at the time. And we just went, and he was like, you know, are you down for that? And I was like, yeah, I'm game. Yeah, let's is, solve that problem. Is there anything you said no to? Oh, we said no to lots of stuff about each other over the years. I mean, like we had tons of bad ideas. But in the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah, like he wanted, he said like, why does a table need legs? <laughs> you know, it was, it was kind of like. Was it floating? Yeah, well, and it wouldn't float, but he was kind of like, he wanted a space that was flexible where like you just drop a table out of the wall, like a Murphy bed or something yeah. like that. Um, and I was kind of like, you know, if you're charging a certain price point or whatever, people are gonna want to sit. <laughs> like there's some things, you know, but, but the point is, is that we, we thought of like. You evaluated everything. We evaluated so like, yeah, like everything, what? right. And, um, and then we published most of that online in real time. So I was kind of open sourced it. Oh, interesting. So we, I didn't know that. I'll, I'll give you a copy of this book on the way out um, that we wrote. And the entire business plan from Avalinia is in there. Do you, uh, is giving you, a, I give you a cookbook. Is that annoying to get a cookbook? Is, no. like, is that like bringing sand to the no, beach? No, actually, no, it's not actually. So one of the great things about having written Life on the Line and the Alinea book, book yeah. is that um, our a lot of publishers and our publisher as well, our distributor, I should say, because we're a self-published, but we have a distributor for the cookbook. Um, Tenspeed does great cookbooks. And every quarter, their entire catalog comes to my house. They send me the whole catalog. And if you go into my house, my wife loves cookbooks. 
So we built a crazy kitchen, and there's about there's a wall that's just bookshelves that's in the kitchen cool. of 250 cookbooks. So um, I will never say no to books, any book, frankly. Uh, love books, and uh, it's very different than, than uh, the wine thing. Um, if the house is on fire and you can only grab one cookbook, which one do you grab? Hopefully you'd have your kids and your wife are already out of the house. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't. <laughs> that's different for me. I, I don't... I, I don't. I'd probably grab like the first edition Alinea book. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the one that's but that's nostalgia. That's nothing to do with the content. For content-wise, um, which one? So you know, modernist cuisine at home. If you're just asking yeah. me like, what cookbook do I like the best? Yeah. Modernist cuisine at home is just really well done. It's great. As is um, um, Kenji Alt Lopez's book that he did last. The year. lab it's, one. Yeah, it's it's really good. Like if you just want to cook home meals that taste delicious, those two are great. Um, but you know, it's like you know, there's so many good cookbooks. She's um, she's cooking out of uh, uh, you know single thread farms just opened Cal Connaughton's place in Heldsburg. Um, so he he wrote um, uh, a book called Danabi. It's like Japanese cuisine. It's just an awesome book. Hmm. Everything she's made out of there, and she tackles like these crazy you know six hour recipes. Everything she's made out of there are, is like mouth-wateringly del- delicious. Are you guys high school sweethearts? Could you say, it sounded like... Met in college. Okay, because she had a friend that you knew a while, so that's the thing that... Yeah, yeah. Well, well, she grew up in Chicago as well, and so we kind of... Like, that there's, Yeah, there's like, similar folks. What was it we about... college. What was it about her you liked? <laughs> it's like... It's such, a, it's such a... What do you call it? Question. No, because... Um, well, and the reason I asked that is because uh, I'm so single she, now, and so I'm trying to... And I, just broke, <laughs> I broke up with the girl two nights ago. But I'm trying to figure out, like, how does someone know who, the mar- who they're supposed to marry? That's what I well, yeah, well, so I think that's a different thing. That's a different question. That's a stage of life question. How old are you? 34. Right. So you will have, you'll have a very different criteria of life experience and what commitment is and whatnot at 34 than you do it when you were 28, if you met someone at 22. Yeah, I can so, tell. Um, and I, I would just say that my wife would agree with that. Like, we've been together for a long time now, but we also give each other enough space to live separate lives as well, Like, which I think a lot of married people don't do. Um, when I met her, I, we met in philosophy of law class and philosophy and, and uh, what was the other one? Uh, some sort of ethics class. And I played in a band at college, and she was just very different than everyone there in a good way. You know, um, she... She had her own sense of style that was completely different. She has a strange name, Degmara, you know. Um, there's not too many Degmaras running around the world. Um, and she was very confident, very smart, you know. Um, I couldn't imagine, like, spending my life with someone who wasn't highly intelligent. Um, however, that brings its own set of, <laughs> its own set of uh, challenges, you know. Um, obviously, we're both very opinionated people, so that can, yeah, that can cause some conflict from time to time but um yeah no i mean it was uh when i met her she said i'm never getting married and i'm never having kids and i'll be living in paris in four years so this is going to be a very short-lived thing <laughs> that's a few years know. later yeah. right 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 did you guys ever go to paris oh we've been there a bunch of times but like i mean she she didn't really mean paris like literally paris but she wants to be traveling and seeing yeah she she right when she graduated she graduated a semester early and she moved to japan she speaks fluent japanese and she moved to japan that's and awesome and then worked for dunn and bradstreet so um i was here living in chicago she was there um pre-email yeah writing letters like, and stuff yeah so which is really weird Long i, went, I went there to visit her um and uh yeah i mean we just kind of never broke up I don't know, was, you know. And then how did you know to marry her? Was it just at some point? That, so that's the life phase thing. You know, I think it's like at, at some point we were living together and she was just kind of like, why aren't we getting married? You know, and that's I think it's 180. I, and I think, yeah, and I, I think that that's, um, I mean, I say this respectfully towards women, but I see the pattern of like when we get to 28, 29, 30 years old. And if you have a partner that you've been with for two years, there is very much a biological imperative to nest and I, whether you call it marriage or having kids or whatever I mean create a home right and I think that that's true not I'm thinking of us as animals now not as rational human beings I think that's true of like lots of uh, that's just like you know if you're a 28 year old woman your biological imperative for most people not all but most yeah is like time to nest so that was happening and so I think that I think that that's what happened yeah 
The, um, and that's, I think that's normal. But I think that if you get through that, just by a little bit, um, as a woman or a man, yeah. you end up being more rational and less passionate. About in terms of your partnership and who you end yeah, up with, you're, yeah, you're you're less, yeah, you're less likely to like throw reason to the side and go like, oh yeah, this is fucking great. I mean, you are for like six months, but then after that, you're kind of like, oh, like there's a lot of flaws. Like I can't imagine this for thirty years. Yeah, like it's fun, but it's not like a thirty year thing. So I think that I see that with I have a lot of friends who are who got to like forty unmarried. And they're great people, and I'm kind of like, I don't think they're ever going to get married, because they're never going to be, or they're going to get married when they're 65. Do you think they're just not able to ha- just be satisfied with things? No, I, I think it's just that. I think it's like... They're satisfied gone. with how things are so far. Yeah, yeah, and also you, you, you're comfortable in your independence. I look at it kind of a little bit how you look at the restaurant, where like, I'm going to meet someone where I'm like, yes, this is it. Like, I wanted something this great. At least that's my belief. Well, I think that I think that that, that happens often. <laughs> like, have you, have you not met someone where you thought that, and then six months later you're kind of like, ah, you know, we broke up too. Yeah, ago. we're all we're all like highly flawed people. So it's like you can meet someone and think they're the greatest person in the world, and the more you get to know whoever it may be, you're gonna find the weird shit out. Like yeah. we're all weird, and you're either like accepting of that, or you're like, wow, like. That's just not. That's not what I thought was going to happen. Like you idealize people early. Totally. On. This is, you, you just we'll get off the topic. But like you got to read. Uh, you got to read um, Alain de Baton. Do you know him? No. So you'll love him. Um, he's a philosopher and. Uh, What's the book called? Well, he's got he's got like, he's got this, this this website called like the Book of Life or something like that. Uh, it's Alain like uh, in French like A L A I N. And you'll see him. He's got a Twitter feed. He's all over the place. But he writes. He has this whole site where he does these wonderful writings. And I read those, and I was like, yep, this guy gets it. You know? It's like he's really, really good. Like, he, he wrote this thing for the New York Times. I think it was the most shared piece last year. Which one New was York that? Times. And it was called Why You'll Marry the Wrong Person. Yes. That's yes. the guy. A lot of people sent it to me. <laughs> that's, well, but, and so that's the guy, right? Okay, I need to reread that one. And uh, and um, and he's got a lot of stuff, not just about, yeah. about business, about relationships, about all that stuff. And um, I, I find myself, like, as I get older, like, just, like, going, yep, that's pretty much it. I was a philosophy major in college. I'm like, yep, that guy gets it. Like, these are not, these are normal themes. So you write up the one page, you do like financial modeling, especially you're in No, YouTube. no, no, I, that's, that's secondary. So the first thing is, what, why is this compelling as an experience for, for people? Like, you know, why do you want to come here? And half of it's that, and half of it is, why is it compelling for us? Which is equally important, because you don't want to like, Work open on a place and then have it, have it be boring to you in six months. I mean, the way Next came about is, is that a lot of our cooks on a Monday or Tuesday when we were closed to Linnea, the young guys would would invite 10 people over and they'd cook Vietnamese food on like at a home Tuesday. Or? Yeah, at home. And then they would take pictures of it and be showing it or they would cook French food or whatever it may be, oh, right? And I got invited to one of them and I was like, it occurred to me that like Alinea is like, there's, there's no ethnicity to the Alinea cuisine. And yet everything I eat there is delicious. And we're using ingredients from all over the world. At one point there was like 24 different countries represented by the ingredients on a single Alinea menu, 189 different ingredients. Crazy, right? And so um, I said to Grant at one point, um, they made, right when he had cancer the first time, um, I hadn't eaten, I drove down from Michigan. And weirdly he said, um, are you hungry? Now, this is like the day he was diagnosed with cancer, and I didn't, I've n- I'd never eaten the Elena kitchen ever. And he's never once prior to that ever said, hey man, are you hungry? I want to feed you something. Like, that was really weird. And the answer was, I, I was hungry, but I wasn't, that wasn't my concern. The guy just got diagnosed with cancer. But I said yes, probably just because I was like, so, like, I don't know what, you know, I didn't even know what, to, we didn't know how to talk to each other about what happened. And so I said yes, and he made up this duck breast really fast with morels and whatever. And I was like, I took a picture of it, I have a picture. And I was like, that's better than any French restaurant I've eaten at in like two years. And like, it was like a five minute thing that they just whipped out of the Alinea kitchen. 
and it occurred to me like a while later, I said, why don't we open a French restaurant? Like no one's doing classical French food anymore. Like they're doing like this nouveau like stripped out of take the butter and the cream out of it. Like why don't we do a classical French restaurant? He's like, oh yeah, we could do that. It'd be the best one in the world. But man, I'd be bored of that in three months. That shit's old. Interesting. Like, I can't do that. So then um, they cooked this Vietnamese meal one like, Tuesday and I saw the picture and I'm like, why don't we do that? Like that'd be cool. He goes, ah, you know, it's easy. Four months later, I'll be bored. So I said, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, we should do all of them in one place. And we should just explore the world cuisine, where every three or four months we change the theme. And it's always a new restaurant. How do you recognize the ideas, man? Like, you did the same thing there where you're at these bars. Well, and I'm like, yeah, except for the fact that it's like, it seems like a lot of good ideas now, cumulatively. You have to understand that, like, I'm compressing the time period of these ideas down to like 30 seconds so it sounds like wow you are a font of ideas but this is like <laughs> this is years of like stumbling around with nothing like we had 20 different ideas for restaurants that we both which ones did you guys like, not do that you uh you know we there's a thing in new york and like we were gonna do like a uh, you know like a, a kind of like a simplified alinea you know kind of thing it's olympia like, express or something like that yeah, there's just like just a lot of I, the bad ideas never get fleshed out terribly. You know? How do you know like, if they're bad or not? That's the thing. That's what I'm uncertain about. I don't know. I, it's just like you just... I, I'll tell you why. Because you don't wake up in the morning and go, yeah, we'll do that. Like if, if like a week later I'm still not like, like Jones in to build it, then it's a bad idea. So we built this to be like a stage. And then every four months, we're on our 19th. This will be our 19th menu. What's Roman uh, you said coming up? This is going to be ancient Rome. Then we're going to do one in the summer called Hollywood. Um, which is going to take its inspiration from from great scenes and uh, food scenes Dude, in Hollywood. so cool. Do you eat here, by the way? Well, so I eat here on the test. So we will close for a week in between every menu. I mean, this is why the business plan. If you if you just write the business plan up of this and you sent this business plan to 100 restaurant owners, 100 of them would have told me this is this will never work because you have to close three times a year for a week. It's a lot of days. You have to spend a lot of money every four months. Essentially, an entire restaurant full of plateware, tableware. What do you do all with the old stuff? stuff? I'll show you. Um, and you have to like. There's one or two things that I recognize here from previous menus. Um, so we never censor ourselves. Going, this is really hard. You know, we made one and it's really hard to do, um, or it's really hard to serve or whatever. We go, okay, let's do one really well, and then figure out like, can we do ten of them? You're not limiting yourself ahead of time. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah I so I think that. a lot of times people limit themselves ahead of time by going like, ooh. I did it once, but now we need to replicate it a lot, and that's going to be really hard. Uh, and I mean, this is true of anything. Yeah, like, no, I love it. Software design, or it's whatever. Like we just do, we just go like, let's just make one great. Maybe we have to pare back from that, or maybe not. But let's just do one great and agree what great is, and then figure out how to make that happen for people. So that's that's what's going on. We're, Dude, we've got so um, cool. the end of the week. Um, we're going to close down uh, French Laundry. And then next week, we do two test dinners. Did he give you a menu from French Laundry from back in the day and you replicated it? Um, Grant's first day, Grant started it uh, in the French Laundry. I think it was October 20th, 1996, something like that. And so he has that menu. And yeah. so um, he knows what it was. We actually altered it slightly to include a couple of the greatest hits as well. That is um, cool, man. You guys must get excited about that. Oh, sorry, you were saying. Yeah, yeah you know, I, we called Thomas and Keller up and just said, hey, this is what we want to do. It coincides with Grant's first day of, you know, his 20 year there. And he was like, awesome, what will that exact date be? And I was like, you know, I, we told him, and he was just like, great, uh, you know, I'll be there, you know, we should bring everybody. So uh, Bobby Stuckey came, like a whole bunch of chefs that Grant, work with Grant. They're all, you know, 40 years old now, and they were 20 then kind of thing. And, and, so uh, special. It was a really wonderful night, and this this meal is it's just freaking delicious food. When you get to the end of the of, of your wine world, you will end up at Domaine de Romanée Conte. It's one of the few things in life where the price justifies the the taste. Okay. There are very few things where that's the case. So in this section, there was some crazy background noise, but I asked Nick, "What is your favorite wine?" Then we actually went on. I kept bugging him. I was like, "Nick, tell me what's the best wine I should get? What's the best value?" And we had this really interesting discussion about the value of things. Uh, and I was recounting a story about wine specifically where I had a wine taste off because I have this uh, snobby friend of mine who's like, I can tell every vintage from anything. And I was like, whatever, dude. So I went to the bargain basement bin at Trader Joe's and I got two varietals. One was like $6, one was 15. Uh, and then my friend bought expensive bottles and we did the blind taste off and the loser had to shave their eyebrows. So if he got them right, I would shave. And if he lost, he would shave his eyebrows. So we did the taste off and my friend lost. 
but he's kind of a little baby. So I didn't make his, uh, shave his eyebrows off, but it was, it was too much for him. And then Nick was starting to tell me about a TEDx talk he did in Chicago and it was so interesting. So what he said with his uh, TEDx talk was he brought out all these really different wines, like I think Burgundies or something like that. And he changed them up. But the one thing he did, which he highly recommended was if you just blend wine for 30 seconds, uh, he says it'll foam up into this jellified looking thing. And it takes like 10 minutes to foam down, but he poured it back into the bottles and then it's hyper aerated. Uh, and it's really good. So it softens the tannins. He says it really works. And he says that wine snobs would never do it uh, because you can't treat the wine with tender love. Uh, you're putting it in a fucking blender is what he says. Uh, but he says, like, give me any bottle of Bordeaux, throw it in a blender and you'd be shocked. And he did this at a TEDx talk. And almost every I think every single person except one guy got it in completely incorrect. Uh, so that was I love the hack of throwing your wine in a blender. Uh, and just also perception, right? Like he put the different labels on the bottle. So people thought they were drinking better quality wine than they were. So a uh, really interesting experience about wine and, and good quality. And I think he talks about it. Uh, I said, you know, what's the bottle of wine I should just get for day-to-day drinking? And so he recommended Joseph Swan Pinot Noir from uh, Sonoma County. So he said that was really good uh, and what you should try. And then we started talking about value just in general. So I went to Alinea, which I think was a few thousand dollars for a few people, and it was super worth it. I went to a few other bucket list restaurants for me, which was Alinea, Mugaritz in Spain, San Sebastian, Eleven Madison in New York, and French Laundry. Those are the big four that I, I really wanted to go to, and I was I was lucky to go to uh, last year. The really interesting thing for me was that Alinea, with I think you know five hundred dollars a person, was worth every single penny. Uh, but French Laundry for me just felt outdated. And I think it was, you know, the same price for the same amount of people. And I just like the food wasn't as good. The service wasn't as good. The ambience wasn't as good. And I literally said like, you know, that's Chipotle for five years for me that I just spent on this meal. And so I think the the overall discussion and the great takeaway from this part was that it's not necessarily just about the money. It's just about the things that you value and then really investing and enjoying those. And so I was really happy that we got to, we got to discuss that. Like for breakfast, do you have normally, do you ever have I don't eat breakfast. Um, I do intermittent fasting. So I eat at noon. So, I guess what I was wondering is like, because everything, what I really admire about you, I'm really like, no, yeah, no, no, I don't live like that at all. No, but you that's can't that. live like that. You can't live like <laughs> no. that. That's that's not, you're like, like, you're like, my eggs are from virgin chicken. No, but what? I, like, no, 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 none of that. No, but that's what I was like. What's for lunch? Like, do you have ever a Subway sandwich? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, no, I mean, like, I don't eat. Like, you can't, you can't. I'm, so there are people who live like that. Yeah. And this, you have to remember that this is about creating experience for people. Like, I, I get more excited about coming down here and creating an experience for people that are here. And it's like, what, within this, this tiny little room, we can craft something really special. So we only play um, old jazz and classic rap. Um, it's 20 seats. It's a chill vibe. And people, this has become the, like one of the most special things we've ever built because it, it's just so transportive. So what we love to do is when someone's been upstairs for an hour or two, uh, they will be going like, wow, this is like amazing, it's yeah. modern, all that. And we're gonna go like the old Monty Python. And now it's for something completely different. And we bring them down and there's it's, there's bathrooms over there. Oh. And so they come downstairs and it's an unmarked door and they come in, not the way we did, but through there. Yeah. And this is the key to get back in, like the little dog here, the little uh, guy holds the keys to get back in. Every single one of our engineers up there, even the guys who can't look you in the eye because that's why they became engineers, have worked the front door at restaurants all over Chicago because they need to be empathetic for that end user. So I think that Grant and I are a bit like that. Like we, we Grant has deep domain expertise in, in cooking, um, and I had pretty good domain expertise in building businesses and in finance. And I'm kind of weird, I'm weird like, so in terms of art, art history and architecture and Why? stuff like that, I know enough about that. Um, and so, but I'm kind of like the guy who knows how to talk to bridge gaps between people. So I can talk to the engineers and explain to them what the needs of... Yeah, you saw the patterns between things and connected. Yeah, that's all I do. And so... That's and, it, yeah. No, 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 but I'm saying like that, that's like, I didn't, I didn't actually think that that was a skill for 20 years. Like if someone said like, what are you good at? I could never actually articulate it because I was never, I'm like this deep and, and like a mile wide. Yeah. And then I surround myself with people who are this wide and a mile deep. And you end up with like the best of both worlds and I think that we we've done a really good job of building that here and then we just don't we just don't we never ask like you know 
we seek efficiency after we figure out how to build the experience. So I think a lot of restaurants go, what's the concept? And how will that make money? And is it doable or whatever? And we just go like, what is it that I want to experience? And what was the best version of that experience I ever had? And how can we improve that even more? And some of it's logistics and just literally like, I have a meeting after you leave, I'm meeting with a major hotel group that we're building uh, an aviary, one of these, an office and an aviary in New York overlooking Central Park. That's it's dope. a massive build up. Yes, it's dope, except for the fact that this is authentic in here, right? Like it feels authentic, right? Um, now I got to double the scale of this in Manhattan. <laughs> and I'm working with really expensive designers who like everything perfect. Like that cabinet was from a flea market for a reason because that was the right kind of jankiness to have in here, right? Um, they're going to want to put like a $5,000 cabinet in there because it's in a really expensive hotel. Oh, so how do you say authentic? I'm going to argue today about the importance of that. But first, before I argue with them and their marketing teams on how to market this and all that, because all those folks are going to come in, they're very professional and they're very good at what they do and they're high priced and all that. They're going to think, this guy doesn't really know how to do all this. I'm going to sit them down and they're going to have a meal here and they're going to be forced to experience it. And so they want to have a meeting today, but they're not going to have the meeting that they think they're going to have. And I'm going to get them drunk in here. And then the next day, I'm going to go, they're going to be raving about it, and that much I'm certain. And then I'm going to go, so just like that, we're going to handle the marketing too. Because otherwise it will be inauthentic. Um, and this is going to be a fight. I know it's going to be a fight, but that's what we always try to do. We always try to do, we do a lot of it ourselves. And we just hire great people. Like, I don't want the people that have like 20 years of experience working in restaurants. It's the last thing I want. Because they're going to look at a restaurant like... You say white tablecloth. Yeah. They're going to they're gonna do exact, the accounting the exact same way. I want someone who did accounting for something completely different. Um, and... And to come in and go like, well, what was the best practices in that industry, and how did you do that? And, all that? and I want him to be 28, so he's not so he's not scared to fuck it up. You know, I was like, that's I think most people are just scared to change. Anything. Like when I try to sell talk to people, they're like, yeah, we have a successful restaurant, we're making 16%, you know, per year, you know, the bottom line. That's like hard to beat, and blah 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 blah. Like I just don't want to fuck it up. Like if you have a successful business, it's actually harder to change it, right? Yeah. Innovators dilemma thing and all that, and so. You know, we always kind of go like, like we gutted Alinea last year. It was still like top 10 in the world. We gutted it. And so my thing is, is like every now and then you just need to destroy it and rebuild it better because it's hard to make incremental changes. Did you have a moment when you were, because I've read that story and, and I went to the new version of it. I was terrified when that, January 4th of last year when they tore it down. And this was really my idea. Like I had to. Were you in the shower? How'd you, do you remember the moment that you I came to the I had to sell Grant on it. Um, we, yeah, he called me and said, what should we do for our 10th anniversary? And I said, we should, we should tear the place down and rebuild it. And he was just like, no, seriously, like we need to throw a party. I said, yeah, with sledgehammers. <laughs> and he was like... What made you think that, though? I, 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 I can tell you exactly, and this is not politically correct, but I went to Charlie Trotter's in... Uh, 1998 I want to say and it was great and I went there in 2002 and it felt like it was a thousand years old four years had gone by and something in the world shifted and Grant Ackett's was starting a trio and blah 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 you go back to Trotter's and it's just like oh geez this place has fucking had it and you're like well wait a second I had a great meal here just like two years ago or three years ago it's the same place. It's the same chair. It's the same meal, more or less. Why is it so bad? Is it me? Did I change? Or is the world changing? The answer is both, of course. And so I just kind of went like, we, th we designed a restaurant in 2004 that will not feel modern in 2020. So in 2014, 15, we need to redo it. We need to gut it and redo it and do it again. And instead of chasing modernity, which is really hard to do, it's getting harder all the time, let's take some, let's juxtapose classicism with what we do. There's actually like four different ceilings in there from four different eras of, of cuisine. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that no one consciously knows. Like what? So like the, the ceilings in each room are completely different and they're from four different classic eras of cuisine. 
in that building or from different places? Where no, we, we had the plaster work done in London and then cut up and shipped here and then put it into the ceiling. It's, it's funny because I was thinking about that when you're talking about the ice where like there's level of details and sophistication that like a, like a, the customer doesn't, doesn't know. know. Yeah, and I think that it's just like great UX. Like if you do a great design, the customer doesn't know that you're forcing him or her down this path. Like sometimes you think you have choice and you often don't because someone thought about how to get you there. That's what I was talking about, like the Darren Brown thing. Like I'm fascinated by that. So like we don't have a lot of choice in life. You think you have a choice to get married or not, but you, but you, you might not, right? Well, I actually think I'll get someone pregnant and I'll be like, oh, I guess I, it's going to be you. That's actually, that's what I tell my therapist. He's like, that's, that's a bad idea. <laughs> You've really uh, stuck with me about this greatness thing. And I think we, I do my best, but I, it's like, I don't think I should accept anything else. The problem is that we have so many smart people here that we then go like, oh, there's got to be a better way to do that. And we know that there is, but yet, so we haven't we haven't rolled out the consumer thing. So like a couple weeks ago, I was like, "Look, we're not going to get to perfect because there's design constraints. Hmm. Just fucking go. Like we have to make iterative changes here, like more frequently. And there's no such thing as like perfect, perfect, right? So um, I think we're, we're, you know, sometimes with Grant, like we're we're, we're surrounded with perfection. And I don't. You could be great at something and produce something that's not great, and that's okay. That's interesting. I mean, but I guess with hiring, do you ever compromise or think, oh, yeah, of course. Like, we have everything. We have 300 employees, so we have everything from $15 an hour dishwashers who, you know, who, like, all of a sudden, they, they, you know, you look and you're like, oh, that guy must have done prison time because he got the tattoo. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. And What's then, a prison tattoo? Like oh, there's, like, the, a tear. Oh, there's one on the, the neck. neck here. Okay. It kind of depends what gang they were in on the south side of Chicago. So, you know, it's like you try to... Um, you, you, you have to be able to manage everybody, and that's that's a trick, too. Um, you know, but when you find greatness, it sounds like... Freedom. That's it. So, like, in the case of, of Alan and Sarah, like, we had to... It's a real risk for them to leave two amazing jobs and come work for a restaurant group. And so you have to make that very attractive for them in some way. At the at the end of the day, like, when you do find someone who's really great, just just doesn't matter what it is. Just go, I want to work with you. Like, I'll, I'll you know... Yeah. I was thinking about a wife, too, for me. <laughs> like, I'm like, we're going to work together. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed the show as much as I did. First off, if you did, go give Nick K some love. His Twitter world handle, his Twitter handle is Nick Kakanas. That's Nick, K-O-K-O-N-A-S at Twitter. Just go give him some love. Tell him how much you like the episode. Uh, go do that right now. Second, if you like the episode, I don't sell ads. It makes my day if you could just take a few seconds to share the episode or leave a quick review. I'd really appreciate it. Number three, give me some feedback. I love making these episodes better for you. So it's Noah Kagan, N-O-A-H-K-A-G-A-N on Twitter. Just I love hearing from you. So leave me some feedback there and have a special day. Have you ever watched The Matrix? I haven't.